This is a fictional story written by me. It's a story about power, pain, and change. It's a story about how sometimes life puts you in situations where the line between right and wrong is so close. Instead of choosing to do what's right or wrong, you choose to do what's necessary. This podcast tells the stories of people we empathize with or root for. Sometimes because of what they did, and sometimes in spite of it. I'm Caleb Carter. This is Antihero. Some time ago, I came across an article about whether or not animals could feel emotion. The basis of the article was a video of a bird who had three chicks. She flew away to get food, and while she was gone, a hawk flew into the nest. When she returned, one chick was dead, another was injured, and the third was missing. Birds can't cry. They don't have facial expressions, and they don't communicate in a way that we can understand. But displays of grief and panic go beyond the limits of human communication. The bird rotated her head back and forth from the injured chick to the dead chick and circled the nest looking for the missing one. A time lapse showed that this routine went on for hours. I was positive that the bird felt emotions and I was pretty sure I knew what those emotions were. The sadness over the dead chick, the relief for the living one, and confusion for how this even happened. It was only when my fiancé was diagnosed with cancer that I realized I was wrong about what this bird was feeling. We met in college, in a philosophy class. It was the beginning of the semester, and we were discussing how Socrates went around Greece questioning people about their beliefs. With the sole intention being to get people to examine their beliefs and determine the strength of their foundations. The professor asked the class if we agreed with his method, and if so, why? It's been nearly ten years, but I remember saying something to the effect of, I agree with it. I believe that so much of what we think we believe is based on how our subconscious has been influenced by outside forces. And if we truly took the time to examine our beliefs and their foundations, we would find that many of our beliefs aren't even our own. The professor then asked if anyone disagreed. And before he had the chance to call on someone, this calm but annoyed voice said, It's not your business what I believe, or what anyone believes, or why they believe it. I think Socrates was just nosy and had no life of his own. So he spent his time pestering people for his entertainment entertainment that he called research. So no, I don't agree with this method. I think he was a creep. I don't believe in love at first sight. As a matter of fact, I was more annoyed by her than anything. How are you taking a philosophy class and your synopsis of one of the greatest philosophers of all time is that he was a creep? We went back and forth on things throughout the semester, and while I thought I was growing more annoyed by her, our souls were secretly having an affair. It took two years and a couple of short-lived college relationships for our bodies to catch up with our souls. At a grocery store of all places. I was getting some apples and having a hard time finding the right ones. I had just put down another apple when I heard an oddly familiar voice ask me if my plan was to touch all of the apples before I left. I turned around and it was her. I'd seen her around campus, but I hadn't talked to her since the philosophy class ended. She asked me how many apples I wanted, and before I answered, she grabbed a few threw them in the bag and said, three is enough. She was the kind of person who didn't ask many questions, didn't seek approval. She was so sure of herself that being around her made you more sure of yourself. She was smart. She understood people. 
She could draw, paint, sing, dance. She was emotional but not dramatic. She had a temper but was always rational. She was my version of perfect. But what I loved about her the most was her sense of humor. She would say and do things that you'd never expect to come from such an elegant person. And she didn't care. She never took herself seriously. She didn't care about the world's expectations that were placed on her before she ever got the chance to accept or decline them. And let me tell you, she would have declined nearly all of them. We were at a nice steakhouse. You know, the kind where everyone there knows which side of the plate the fork and the knives go on. We wouldn't normally go to a place like this, but we were there to celebrate our four years of dating. She was wearing an olive dress with a pearl necklace and earring set, objectively beautiful. She cut a piece of steak, and as she was bringing it up, our waitress walked up to ask if we needed anything else, and it caught her off guard. She always did scare easy. So she jumped, and the piece of steak fell to the floor. With zero hesitation, she stabs the piece of steak with her fork, looks at the bottom of it, gives it a quick wipe, and eats it. She noticed that the waitress had a look on her face like she was witnessing something for the very first time. So her response was, I'm sorry, ma'am, but if there were ever a time where the five-second rule applied, it would be in a steakhouse with marble floors where everything costs five times as much as it should. And yes, I'll have another glass of Merlot when you get the chance. This was her. She could say anything she wanted, and as long as she ended it with her smile, you'd immediately realize that regardless of what she said, there was not an ounce of ill intent inside of her. I'd been carrying around the ring for about a month, waiting for the perfect moment. I was on one knee before the waitress finished laughing. Six months into our engagement, she started complaining about pain in her abdomen, off and on for about two weeks. Confused, but not at all worried, we scheduled an appointment with her doctor. You know, doctors really suck at delivering bad news. You'd think they'd be pretty good at it with all the experience they get in doing it. After some standard tests, this old guy walks in who is not her doctor. He's pretending to read a chart that he's already memorized, face stiff as a board. He says, I've got some bad news. <laughs> My fiance. She couldn't help herself in moments like these. She was always so uncomfortable around serious people. She says, Okay, come on. Am I barren? Am I dying? Give us the news. We can take it. But this time her smile didn't work. I don't know if she flustered him or if she got under his skin or if he was actually as serious as he pretended to be, but he responded in a very cold tone saying, well, at this point you are barren and you are dying. You have an advanced stage of ovarian cancer. In fairness, there is no warm way to deliver that news. They say our mind goes to strange places in moments of shock. In that moment, all I could think about was that bird and how I was wrong about her. You know those moments in life where everything slows down for a bit and a feeling of peace and euphoria comes over you? And you kind of nod to yourself, acknowledging that everything is perfect and all the decisions you've made leading up to this point were absolutely right. Sometimes you snap back into reality and the daydreaming ends there. But sometimes you go a little bit further and you allow yourself to imagine what it would be like if something went terribly wrong and you lost everything. You imagine your worst nightmare. And those feelings of peace and euphoria are replaced with a dread that you can feel deep in the pit of your stomach. The fact that you can even feel dread over the potential of something happening was always so concerning to me. It's almost like your body's way of hinting to you that anything you can imagine is a real possibility. So you've been allowed to feel that feeling to condition you in case your worst nightmare becomes reality. 
To say that I'd come face to face with my worst nightmare would be too cliche. And actually, it'd be wrong. This wasn't my worst nightmare. In my worst of dreams, I never imagined this possibility. I showed up to the worst day of my life and I was completely unprepared for it. I guess your body's defense mechanism is only as effective as your imagination. One day it's all perfect and you're at peace with the world and how you're maneuvering through life. Then that same day you realize that you were never maneuvering through life. It was maneuvering around you, sparing you until you got in the way and it decided to go right through you. Now I truly know what that bird was feeling. She wasn't sad, relieved, or confused. She was powerless. She was being confronted by her powerless existence. She'd always been powerless. Only now she knew. The cancer had metastasized. Medical way of saying it was having its way with her body. She started chemotherapy two days later. They didn't expect her to live past six months. There's an incredible feeling of sadness flowing through a hospital in general, but that's especially true at a cancer treatment center. The patients, friends, and family members are all either hopeless or hopeful, but nobody is happy. Which is why she stood out so much. She was the first person I saw actually laughing, and she was genuinely happy. They both were. Her and her husband. We officially met on the second day of my fiancé's treatment. I was getting coffee and she recognized the Memento Mori tattoo I have on my forearm. Memento Mori is a Latin phrase that translates to remember that you are going to die. It's a reminder to live life on your own terms because it's not going to end on them. She recognized the phrase but suggested that I keep it covered because it's probably not the best tattoo to be displaying while in a cancer treatment facility. A joke. This was our first laugh. We began to talk on a regular basis. My fiancé's chemotherapy cycle was one week on and one week off. And because of life's conniving algorithm, her husband's chemotherapy cycle was also one week on and one week off. I saw her nearly every day of every other week. It was refreshing. It didn't feel wrong, and try to understand what I mean when I say this, but I looked forward to chemotherapy. We talked about my fiancé and her husband, how we met them, how we fell in love. We talked about college and philosophy. We talked about everything, except cancer. Until one day she made a joke about how they were trying to make a baby and then found out, quote, the only thing he had in his balls was cancer. She tried to take it back because it was a bit insensitive, but I'd already started laughing. She put her hand over my mouth. I remember feeling her wedding ring on my lip. They'd caught his cancer early, and he was expected to live which probably explains why they were happier than everyone else, why they could laugh and why she could joke. This was just a pit stop for them, a minor obstacle, an opportunity to gain new perspective on life. They were going to be fine, which made the fact that he died eight months after I met her so surprising. His situation made an unexpected turn. His body started to reject treatment. Cancer overtook his body. She was broken. My fiancé outlived the original prognosis, and I knew she would. She was as tough as they come. But we were now over a year into the battle, and cancer had taken the lead. I had accepted that she was going to die months ago. Not because I thought it'd make it hurt less, but because... Now, there's no easy way to say this, but I had already moved on. Over the past year, I'd fallen in love with someone else. And honestly, it felt like something I had to do. My fiancé was dying. 
I'd met a woman whose husband had died. In my desires to fill a void that hadn't yet been voided, I accepted someone into my life as if they were a payment by a universe that was looking to clear negative balance. A universe that realized it owed me. We'd stayed in touch after her husband's passing, and she was aware of my fiancé's prognosis, but never asked for updates on her condition. She never tried to keep tabs on it, even though she knew what it would mean for us. Though we never spoke it out loud, not once, we knew that there would come a time where we would grieve the loss of my fiancé and of her husband, together. But life does what it does, and out of nowhere, for reasons no doctors will ever be able to explain, my fiancé's situation started to stabilize. The cancer had stopped spreading. For the past few months, the doctors hadn't been doing much in the form of treatment. It was a foregone conclusion that her time was coming to an end. But with this new development, they started the treatments back up and her situation slowly started to improve. The number of cancerous cells in her body were decreasing. Eventually, her cancer was in full remission. There was some permanent damage to her organs, but she'd live. And because of the damage to her ovaries, she'd never be able to have kids, but that was okay because sometimes miracles come with a price. She had faced death. She had even accepted death and she'd survived it. But she'd come out on the other side a different person. And I don't blame her for it. I don't think anybody could go through what she went through and maintain the same mental makeup they had before it all started. Like I said, sometimes miracles come with a price. She was more serious. She didn't prioritize laughter anymore. She still spoke her mind, but it didn't have the same charm to it. It was more snappy. She didn't drink wine or eat steak. She wasn't interested in traveling. She just wasn't the same. So four months after she was cured, I decided to leave her. And it wasn't easy. It takes a lot to break the heart of the person you love more than anything in the world. And I can say that and say it truthfully. I loved her more than anything in the world, but I wasn't right for her. Not this version of her. She needed someone who didn't know who she used to be. But I did know that girl, and knowing that she used to exist made me miserable. I don't remember much about the conversation that day. There were a lot of tears, I know that, but I do remember her asking, would this have happened if she wouldn't have gotten sick? And we both knew the answer to that question. When I refused to answer, she reminded me that her getting sick wasn't her choice, so if I'm leaving her because of who cancer made her, then I'm leaving her for something she had no control over, and that she didn't really understand how that was fair. And she was right. It wasn't fair. But I wasn't happy. And regardless of how hard she protested, I could tell that she wasn't happy either. I wasn't the same. I insisted that she eat vegetables with every meal. Anytime she coughed, I'd examine her from head to toe. If she even mentioned something about not feeling well, I'd insist that she go to the hospital immediately. And it became clear that we could live through what we'd been through. We just have to do it without each other. I reconnected with the girl that I met at the treatment center. We dated for a while, but she couldn't get over the fact that I'd left my fiancé after she'd survived. Said it made her feel uneasy. How she prayed for her husband's survival and he died, but I'd gotten my prayers answered and still walked away. If I could do that to my fiancé, who was so clearly touched by the hands of God, then how easy would it be for me to leave her? Fair point, I guess. She didn't have the context I had. She didn't understand why I left the love of my life, and I knew she never could. My ex forgave me. Sooner than I expected, honestly. And, hey, she ended up marrying one of the nurses that looked after her. She never showed any interest in girls while we dated, but I told you, she wasn't the same. 
Regardless, love is love. And I'm happy for her. She's back laughing again. I gave her a call on her birthday and we talked about how maybe cancer was the reason for her happiness. In some weird way, cancer never intended on killing her. It was just playing matchmaker, bringing her into contact with the next chapter in her life. Asked her, what if she'd never gotten cancer? Where would we have ended up? There was a long pause. Long enough for me to realize how ironic and stupid it was for me to be the one asking that question. And I expected her to express that. But she didn't. She laughed and said, we both know better than to go down that road. There are no what ifs. Life does what it does. And even though we don't have any control over that, we're far from powerless. We can do something that life can't. We get to wait and see what life does, gather our thoughts, come up with a plan, and then react. And there's a lot of power in that. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you rated it and left a review. It helps bring more visibility to the podcast and lets us know how we can improve. For more information about the show, visit us at antiheropodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at antihero underscore podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend about us and don't forget to subscribe. This is Antihero.